You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All righty. What book of the Bible are we in? We're in John. You could say that every Sunday for a year. We're in John's Gospel. We're in John chapter 4. And let me, um, let me say this. I have been profoundly burdened for you all week. I love you with all of my heart. I have great affection for the people of this church. I really love you. We have some dear people. And, um, and I hardly slept last night. And, and this word today is not a, it's not a hard word. It's a deep word. It's a deep word. Because uh, God has great affection for you. And he wants to do a deep work in you. And so I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to spend time getting to know one woman who met with Jesus and her whole life was changed. And I want you to meet with Jesus today and I want to see your whole life changed. Uh, For that to happen, um, you need to be receptive uh, to God's word and to God's presence. And um, I just need you to know how much God loves you, how profoundly God is committed to you, and how significantly God wants to help you. So Father God, um, we come in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. And and Father, we know that there are some people here that don't know Jesus. I pray today, like the woman at the well, they would come to know the Lord Jesus. Lord, we know there are some people here who are burdened with shame. And we pray that Holy Spirit, you would lift that from these dear people. Uh, Lord God, there are people here who have things in their past that they are haunted by. There are people here that are divorced and coming into a church makes them feel ill at ease. Um, Lord God, as we open your word today, please open our hearts to the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in our midst. We invite you to do a deep work in these dear people. And Holy Spirit, I confess my my energy is low. I've been burdened all week. Help me to have a clear mind and a loving heart to do my very best to serve these people whom Jesus gave his life for. Lord, that's how precious these people are. And I pray for a deep work in their soul today. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to do that as we open the word. In Jesus' good name, amen. Um, Today you're going to meet a Samaritan woman at a well. Um, She gets nearly an entire chapter of the Bible. Ladies, I want you to see that this honors women. Uh, This honors women profoundly. And, uh, And as we get to meet her and see the story of her life, I want the same thing that she experienced for you to experience as well. So the story begins, um, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, these are religious people who are always harassing Jesus, 
had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not baptize, uh, but only his disciples did. He left Judea and departed for Galilee. Those are two regions. The geography here is important. And he had to pass through Samaria. Um, He had to because that was God's will. There are places you don't have to go to, and then it's God's will. That's where you have to go. He could have went around, but he had to go through. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. If you were here in that series, you know who these guys are. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. So here's how the geography worked in that day. Uh, The Jewish people had uh, one large extended piece of land, and then something happened. And that was the people in the middle, they rebelled against God. They did what you're not supposed to do. They married people who worshiped other gods. Um, Are believers supposed to marry only believers? Yes, all you single people write that down. Okay, so if you're a believer, you only marry a believer. God doesn't want you to marry an unbeliever. Why? If, if someone doesn't know your God, they don't know you because they don't know the most important thing about you. If you're not connected at the soul level, you're not connected at the deepest level. And if you're not going to be together forever, why would you be together at all? Okay. So, so God's people are supposed to marry God's people. What they did, they rebelled and they married people from other religions. And... As a result, their, their numbers increase. What happens when you have one parent from one religion, another parent from another religion, they get married, then the kids get very confused. So what the kids tend to do is they tend to take aspects of both this pagan religion and this true religion, the God of the Bible, and they commingle them and they create what we would call a cult. The difference between a cult and a religion is a cult started as part of the true faith and then departed from the true faith. And they essentially started a cult. And this cult got rid of most of the books of the Bible, though it kept some portions. It had lots of sexual sin because most cults and false teaching is pants-related problems. People have no dominion over their drawers, and as a result, you get a cult. A cult usually has something to do with that. And, um, and they even practice child sacrifice. And we would read that and we'd say, that is horrific. It's been legal in this country for a long time. This would be the emotional equivalent for God's people of, they said they were Christians, and then they went crazy, and they're not obeying the Bible, and now they only have church services at Planned Parenthood. That's the emotional response of God's people to these people called the Samaritans. Uh, There's a man named Nehemiah in the Old Testament. There's a book bearing his name. In chapter 13, he says that he was so angry at these people that he beat them and scalped them. I'm not saying it was right, but I'm saying it was intense. The animosity and the hostility between these Samaritans and the Jewish people was incredible. This would be like today, a country putting a a travel ban on going to another country because it has become too dangerous to pass through. And so what would happen is, if you wanted to go, you were a Jewish person between the north and the south, you could walk around Samaria and it would take you about six days. 
or you could walk through Samaria and it would take you about three days. Most people, most Jewish people walked around. You know you hate somebody if you walk for three days to avoid them. Amen? (laughs) Most of us are too lazy to just walk at all. Like some of you pulled up and you're like, I don't know, I could go in, but... It's 20 feet, you know. Uh, it, we are lazy people. We tend to not overexert ourselves. If you're going to walk three days in the desert to avoid someone, you despise them. You want nothing to do with them. You want no relationship with them. That's how intense it was. It was so intense that if you were a Jewish family and someone in your family married a Samaritan, you would throw a funeral and consider them dead for the rest of their life. Okay? That's the intensity. God comes to the earth, his name is Jesus Christ, and he doesn't go around Samaria, he goes through Samaria. Because God is a God who pursues the outcast. God is a God who accepts people that have been rejected by other people. Some of you are here today, and you're embarrassed of your lifestyle. You feel uncomfortable being in church. You're wondering if God would even have any desire to have a relationship with you. Not only does God come to the earth, God comes to the earth and walks three days to meet with one woman. That's how much God loves people. That's how much God loves people. And so the story pivots to where Jesus is passing through Samaria and he sits down and has a conversation with a woman. Um, It was about the sixth hour. That's around noon. Okay? A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So living in the desert, we have a little more insight to the Bible. People read this, they're like, water, big deal. (laughs) If you live in the desert, you're like, water, big deal. Amen? You can't have a population until they have water. And so people would live wherever water was found and the well was formed. People would live there. This was a well that dated all the way back to Genesis in the Old Testament. One of the patriarchs owned this land, Jacob. He was buried there. It was then given to his son, Joseph. And what had happened was this place that God was worshipped became a place of a cult and idolatry and disobedience to God. And the Samaritans said, no, this is God's land and we're God's people. And God's people said, you are not God's people. You should not reside on God's land. Big debate. So there is this well, and then it would be customary in that culture for the women and children to come and to draw the water. They didn't have indoor plumbing for the most part as we do. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. At what time? Noon. How many of you are new to the valley? How many of you knew the valley? Right? It's nice right now. It's pretty nice. June, July, and August are coming. We call them the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist. They are they're coming to destroy you. It's apocalyptic. Right, June, July, August, I can't even preach on hell. People are like, you can't scare me. I live in Arizona. Right? Some of you right now, you're new to the valley, and it's noon, and you're like, I'm going to go for a jog. June, July, August... For those of you that have been residents for a season, will they be going for a jog? No. If you see somebody jogging, call 911. They're suicidal. They're trying to kill themselves. 
That's where June, July, August people show up and then they're like, I'm going to go hike Camelback. No, you won't. You will get a very expensive helicopter ride to the hospital. That's what you're going to get because it's too hot. And so we don't go out during the heat of the day. We go out in the morning before the sun rises or at night after the sun sets. And that's why we don't walk our dogs at lunch unless we hate them. If you see someone walking their dog here and they they hate that dog, that poor dog. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, she is coming at noon. Why is she coming at noon? These are the rejected people and they've rejected her. These are the outcasts and they have outcast her. These are the most confused people and she is so confused that they want nothing to do with her. Some of you know what this feels like. You are in a friend group and now you're on the out. You don't get invited to events. You see on social media, oh, they got together. I didn't know. I guess I'm out. Some of you, it's that way with your family. You were in and now you're out. This woman is out. Because what would happen is the, woman would, the women rather would go to the well in the morning. And what do you think they would do? Socialize, visit. It's the well in Sikar. This was originally back in the Hebrew, and everyone knows that Sikar in Hebrew means Starbucks. And so all the women, would, just a little knowledge for you, all the women would get together in the morning, and they'd meet at Starbucks. And they would visit and talk, and she was not allowed to come. She had to come at noon during the heat of the day all by herself because she was not welcome. She's the dejected, rejected woman. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman, we don't know her name, said to him, how is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. There are a lot of cultural obstacles that Jesus is hurtling over to get to this woman. There's this this first hurdle, God and people. So Jesus is God, becomes a person. Well, there's the Jews and the Samaritans, and Jesus is Jewish, and he comes to Samaria. There is a barrier between godly people and ungodly people, and he approaches her. Furthermore, there is this barrier between men and women, and men and women in that culture tended not to interact and communicate. And so she is rather startled and stunned. Here is a man who is obviously Jewish in Samaria wanting to have a conversation with me. Not only that, when he asks for a drink, we could miss the social significance. In that day, it was an act of hospitality to draw water for someone. Jesus is at the well. He doesn't have anything to draw the water with which means he's thirsty and he's tired, but he can't get a drink. There was a custom in that culture, not from God's word, but from religious leaders, that said if a Jewish person drank from the vessel of a Samaritan person, they were ritually unclean. This would be the cultural equivalent of Jim Crow laws in the tragic history of our nation. We don't drink from those water fountains. We don't eat with those people. They are unclean and we are clean. Here's the truth. We're all unclean and Jesus comes to make us clean. It's religious people are all worried about being defiled, not understanding that they already are defiled. 
and that they need to be made clean too. And so in asking her for a drink of water, this would be the cultural equivalent in our day of saying, hey, let's go do coffee. It's an invitation to sit down, have something to drink, and to have a conversation. It's relational. You need to see that Jesus is our relational God. It's our relational God. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. So the same God who made the physical world made the spiritual world and that God will use things in the natural to teach us things in the supernatural. So your body needs water to survive. It's the first thing you learn when you move to the desert. Drink all the water you possibly can, right? First thing we did, we bought all our kids hydro flasks and just said, drink water, drink water, drink water, drink water, because as soon as your body becomes dehydrated, you are in grave danger, amen? Your body has to have water. And what he's going to tell her is that in addition to her body, she has a soul. And the fuel that God intends for the soul to run on is the living water of the Holy Spirit. And it just goes to show that most people, they devote far greater time and energy to their external than their internal, to their body than their soul. Kids take health classes in school, and it usually teaches them how to care for their body, which is wonderful. It says nothing about their soul. You can go to college and get degrees in anatomy and physiology and nutrition and health and wellness, and there isn't one class offered on how to have a healthy soul. The soul is the essence of who you are. It's the center of who you are. It will outlast your body. When your body goes into the ground, the Bible says that your soul will go into the presence of God. Upon the second coming of Jesus, your soul will re-enter your body and rise as a unified person forever. But the soul belongs to God. The soul was made by God. Let me tell you this, friend. You are the steward of your soul. You are the steward of your soul. And what Jesus is telling this woman is, your soul needs the spirit as much as your body needs the water. You can have a hydrated body and a dehydrated soul. You can have a healthy body and a sick soul. That's the condition of this woman. And let me tell you this, there is no water for the soul in this world. This world is just a desert. There is nothing here to nourish your soul. If your soul is to be nurtured, it is going to have to be provision from God. Okay? Some of you have tried to nurture your soul in this world. And you found that nothing brings health and life to your soul in this world. You need living water. So the story continues. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's thinking in the natural and physical, not in the supernatural and spiritual. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? She says, our father. What she's saying is our religion is right and we're really the people of God. That's wrong. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. 
How many of you, now that we're, you know, entering toward the summer season, if somebody came to you and said, I could put a well on your property, it'll flow fresh water forever. You'd be pretty excited about that, amen? I would be. Where a well has flowing water, there's life. How many of you have hiked pace in Prescott, Sedona, flag? Gorgeous, barren, desolate. You see green, what do you know? There's water over there somewhere. Where water flows, life flows. Where water flows, heated things become cooled and refreshed. Dead things become alive. So it is with the soul. So it is with the soul. Even greater than a free, never-ending, free-flowing, freshwater well on your property is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your soul. goes on. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. You got to keep coming back to this well. You know, the problem is this well doesn't go with you. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. There is a profound and deep satisfaction at the soul level that is only possible through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and nothing else can replace his presence. Nothing. The water that I will give him. Who gives the Holy Spirit? Jesus does. Jesus does. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, this is a parched woman. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Or come here to draw water. This woman is lonely. This woman is outcast. This woman is shame filled. This woman is rejected. No one has poured life into this woman. All men have ever done is taken life from this woman. I don't know. Perhaps she's one of those people who loves the idea of being in love. And as a result, she keeps putting people into the place to read the script and play the role, and everyone fails. What she is looking for at the soul level cannot be met by a human being. Okay? I love you. I'm your pastor. I, I want to be tender today and helpful. The reason that some of you keep having broken, painful relationships is because you are taking a need that only God can fill and handing it to mere mortals. This is what she's been doing. Never leave me, never forsake me, never abandon me, never betray me, always forgive me. That's a resume for Jesus. And I'll tell you this, if you hand your spouse Jesus' resume, you will ruin your relationship. This is her problem. This is her pain. And Jesus says, you keep coming to the well for your body. You need to take the well with you for your soul. 
He's talking here about the ministry of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. Um, The story continues. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. This is now basically turned into a counseling session for all intents and purposes. And now that we're getting a little deeper, it's just a man and a woman. Go get your husband and let's pick up this counseling session. The woman answered him, I have no husband. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands. 2,000 years ago, five husbands is culturally unacceptable. Some of you are here, you're divorced. You wonder, is there, is there forgiveness for me? Is there love for me? I've had people show up at this church, dear people, say, I'm divorced can I come to church? It's like somebody saying, I got hit by a car. Can I go to the hospital? Yes. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. You're living with some guy. He's willing to ruin your reputation and he won't even legitimize the relationship. It's not even devoted and committed to you. Some of you are living with people, sleeping with people. This is you too. This is a lot of people, right? I mean, this is a full suburban of men, right? They're using all the seatbelts. This is a lot. This is a complicated relationship history, right? How many of you are like, oh, that's nothing. I got a bus. What you said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. (laughs) You're a prophet. Hmm. Then the conversation makes an interesting pivot. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. Some commentators think here that she's changing the subject. Tell me about your sex life. Yeah, I think the Cardinals will be good if they could find a quarterback. Let's talk about that. Okay? Change the subject. Maybe that's the case. Maybe not. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Cults and religions worship, but they don't know who God is because it's Let me say this, it's not the passion of the worshiper, but the object of the worship that matters. You can be wholeheartedly devoted to the wrong thing, and it's not helpful. I mean, to me, it's as simple as this. You're on a sinking ship, and there's an anchor, and there is a life preserver, and you have total faith in the anchor, and jump overboard. It is not the faith, the passion, the devotion that saves. It's the object that saves. Faith, passion, or devotion in the wrong object of worship does not save you. 
this woman is wholeheartedly devoted to the wrong God. He says, you don't, you don't know. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, Hebrew Old Testament. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, there are false worshipers, will worship who? God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. In spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Can't wait for him to show up. Mic drop. Jesus said to her, ta-da, shazam, bazinga. I who you speak to am he. Jesus doesn't often clearly reveal himself. He does to this woman because he loves her. This is a divine appointment scheduled by Jesus that she was unaware of and she was going about her natural course of day and Jesus meets her where she's at. How many of you, that's your story? I was just doing my thing. Jesus showed up, everything changed. For some of you, this is your day where Jesus has scheduled an appointment with you to change your life. So let me say this. There are three basic ways I think we can look at this woman, and maybe this would be fun to discuss in your life group or on the way home. Number one, we could look through the lens of current culture and say she's chosen an alternative lifestyle. Who are we to judge? They're consenting adults. Nobody got hurt. Here's a flag. Join our parade with all the other naughty people. That was offensive and true, okay? Um, The other would be we could kind of take the religious look like the women in that culture did, and like, oh, she is... Out of control. What a, what a dirty lady. Keep your husband away from her. We'll talk about her, but we won't talk with her. We're going to make sure everybody knows what she's like, and we're not going to help her change. Unclean, unclean. She's a leper. The third approach is one that would be more common from brothers and sisters in Christ who open the word of God from other nations around the world that are maybe more culturally similar to hers. In that day, uh, most cultures, women couldn't go to college. They couldn't work a job on their own. They couldn't open a bank account. They couldn't vote. They couldn't open land. Couldn't own land, rather. So you were... You were sort of dependent as a woman on your dad to love you and care for you. And then when you got married, your husband would love you and care for you. That was the way it was supposed to work. But let's say you were an assault victim or you were abused or you crossed some lines and done some things you shouldn't have done. Well, now men wouldn't marry you. So now you're in a dangerous and difficult position, especially if your dad is dead or a deadbeat. Once you've been divorced, well, now it's hard to get remarried. And once you've been divorced five times, it's down to whoever's apartment I can crash at. It's better than being homeless. I see everything as a dad. I'm a dad. My whole lens, dad lens. 
deadlines. That's how I see it. So my questions as I see this woman are, does she have kids? I don't know if she does or doesn't, but if you have five husbands and you're living with a guy, I'm not shocked if there's kids. If there are kids, who's taking care of these kids? And how are these kids processing so many fathers and so much transition? I think she's an abuse victim. I think she's doing some bad things, but I think it's because she's broken. Sometimes we can look at people and just say, why do you do that? Well, because I'm broken. And until I'm healed at the soul level, I'm not going to be right in my lifestyle. If you just look at what somebody does, you can just rush to judgment. Oh, that's naughty. If you ask them their story, you're like, oh, that's tragedy. What was done to you was wrong. And it broke you. And until that is reset by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be healthy and well. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where's your dad? That's my question. Man, if this was your daughter, would you say, honey, come stay with dad. Don't move in with that guy. Honey, let's, let's work this through. I don't know if her dad's dead or a deadbeat. I was driving in the truck with one of my daughters a couple years ago. I always ask my kids questions, and then I leave awkward silence to f- cause them to talk. That's the doesn't always work that way, but that's my strategic plan. And I change the order of the questions, so maybe they don't know what I'm trying to do. And so... <laughs> The questions are like this. Uh, how are you doing? What is God teaching you? Is there anything or anyone I can pray for? Is there any questions you have? Is there anything I can help with? Is there any burden I can help lift? Those kind of questions. And uh, I was talking to my, uh, my daughter, and she said, uh, yeah, Daddy, my friend, uh, young teenage girl, early teen years. I said, what's up? She said, uh, she's boy crazy. I said, what's boy crazy? She's like, she just wants boys' attention. She has to have a boyfriend. And she's with some really bad guys, and they're hurting her. I said, so how would you like me to pray? And she said, "Uh, pray for her daddy to do his job. She said, and I'm paraphrasing, if she wants attention from a guy, it should be from her dad. If she wants to hold the guy's hand, it should be her dad's hand. If she wants to snuggle with a guy, her dad should snuggle with her. If she wants a kiss from a man, her daddy should kiss her on the head. Amen? If you men want me to be your pastor, that would be a great honor. But I would ask you to have a father's heart. To have a father's heart. Jesus, is he single or married? Single. Is he he a virgin? Is he away from home? 
did his accountability partners just walk away and leave him by himself? Is he in Samaria, which is the Hebrew word for Vegas? <laughs> yes. Is this a woman who has a reputation? Yes. Does Jesus say or do anything inappropriate? No. Because he has the Father's heart. Jesus says elsewhere, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Man, this world is a devastating, destructive, damnable, and dangerous place. Especially for a woman who is on her own. And as God's men, we need to have the Father's heart. See, typically, the story wouldn't be like this. Uh, A homeschooled Jewish boy from a small town goes with 12 buddies to Vegas. They go looking for taquitos and leave him all by himself. He ends up having a conversation with a gal with a reputation. And she ends up being a missionary. That's not usually how the story ends. Amen? (laughs) But that's how this story ends. Jesus has the Father's heart. I need you men to have the Father's heart. I need you single men to have the Father's heart. For you ladies, if you don't have a father, you need to know that God is a father. For those of you men who don't have this heart, you need to know that you too have a father and this is his heart. And then they have this conversation about worship. Now, let me be honest. She might be changing the subject. She might be. Or she gets immediately to the real heart and root of her problem. The debate between the Jews and the Samaritans was largely over the issue of worship. The temple was the holiest place on earth. It was where God's presence was. And people would go there to worship God and be in his presence. God's people, according to God's design and decree, God gave the plan to King David. It was executed by Solomon, built the temple. The temple was neglected and fell into ruin and was destroyed. And so there was a man some years later named Nehemiah, along with another man named Ezra. There are two books of the Bible bearing their name. They undertook a rebuilding project to rebuild the temple of God. And the Samaritans asked, can we participate? And they were told, no. You're just a sick, demonic, comprised, compromised rather, uh, dirty cult. So you're not welcome. Well, the Samaritans were greatly offended at this. So one of their renegade leaders, who was Jewish by history, married a Samaritan woman and decided that they would officialize this cult. And they built their own temple. They said, we don't go to Jerusalem. We go here. God's not present there. He's present here. You're the cult. We're the real religion. And the war erupts and ensues. So she meets Jesus, a Jew who worships in Jerusalem. She is a Samaritan who worships in Samaria. And she asks, 
Where's the right place to go to church? Where's the right place to meet with God? Jesus says some things that are amazing. First, he says that the Father is seeking worshipers. Okay? So this woman is now learning, God is a father, I'm going to get a dad. The first safe man I've ever had in relationship to me. The father is seeking worshipers. Does it say that the father is seeking worship? No. no. It's, God, the father is not seeking a genre of music or a number on the radio dial. Those things are fine. God's not seeking a rock and band. If you're going to have a band, make a rock. He's not seeking worship. He's seeking worshipers. You know what those are? Those are people. Those are people. He's seeking you. He's seeking you. Worship is not something that starts and stops. It's a lifestyle in relationship with Jesus. It's in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit. It's a spiritual activity and truth. Spirit meaning that God is spirit and you have a spirit and the Holy Spirit fills you so that you worship God. It's a spiritual connection at the soul level. And in truth, meaning you worship the right God in the right way because the right God decides how he is to be worshipped. Sometimes people come into church and they'll be like, well, that worship doesn't work for me. Well, the question is, does it work for God? Because we're not worshiping you. Right? You're the band. He's the audience. You're the band. He's the audience. Worship is not just music. It's lifestyle, but it does include singing. Some of you men need to learn how to sing. If you can't sing good, sing loud. That's how I do it. I make up for clarity with volume. What I find, the older I get, the more my soul needs worship. We don't worship because God needs it. We worship because we need it. Just like your body needs exercise, your soul needs to worship. And he says that we can worship in spirit and in truth. So the word of God has to be open so that we know who the true God is and how to worship him truly. And then we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and worship God from our spirit connecting with his spirit. And she's asking, where do we do that? Do we go to Jerusalem or do we go to Samaria? And Jesus says, it's a new day. You don't go to God, God comes to you. You don't go to a temple, you become a temple. Want to be careful. Does anyone in that instance think that this woman is a holy, sacred place. Jesus is going to make her a temple. Jesus is going to put the Holy Spirit in her so that her body is the holy of holies. That now she doesn't need to go to God's presence. God's presence comes to be with her. What this means is she can now worship God wherever she's at. 
She can be making her dinner and worshiping God. She could be cleaning her dishes and worshiping God. She could be packing up her stuff and moving out of her boyfriend's apartment and worshiping God. If you are a child of God, you are a temple of God. But the same Holy Spirit who indwelt the Holy of Holies and empowered the life of Jesus resides in the child of God so that God's presence goes with you so those streams of living water can continually flow in you and through you. And let me say this. Under every issue is the worship issue. This woman is passionate. She is a worshiper. She worships love. She worships men. She worships relationships. She doesn't worship God. You and I are all worshipers. You were made as a worshiper. You cannot help but worship. It's not part of what you do. It's what you always do. Some people worship their job. Some people worship their sports team. Some people worship their IQ. Some people worship their income. Some people worship their house. Some people worship their kids. Some people worship their grandkids. It's not an issue if you worship. It's an issue what you worship, who you worship, how you worship. And so here's the point. This woman has worshipped herself into a crisis. She needs to worship herself out of her crisis. You worship your way into trouble. You worship your way out of trouble. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, I'm way off the notes, but the first two of the, like I have them, but the first two of the Ten Commandments. Okay, there's Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. First two commandments, there is one God, worship him alone. Martin Luther, he's a reformer in the Heidelberg Catechism, he says rightly, if you obey the first two commandments, you won't commit the sins of the other eight. If you worship God, you won't worship sex and commit adultery. If you worship God, you will not worship your reputation and be a liar. If you worship God, you will not covet other people's stuff. If you worship God, you will not kill someone and try to be ruling over them like a god. That if we worship God first, then we worship our way out of trouble. I'll give you a a couple examples. I find most people worship food, alcohol, and sex. And some people call this a weekend, okay? Uh, Food, alcohol, and sex. What happens if you worship food, Paul says in the New Testament, that for some people their God is their stomach. They worship food. The center of your life is food. Anyone or anything that takes God's place as the center of your life becomes idolatry. That's the opposite of the worship of God. First John 5.21 says, My dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Sitting next to a guy on a plane for three and a half hours, all he did was flip through photos of food. That guy was in church. Right? I finally looked at him. I said, You like food. 
And let me tell you, he was not thin. He was an active worshiper. And he said, uh, yeah, it's my favorite thing. Mm. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. Some people, they drink too much. Alcohol becomes for them a functional God, a functional Savior. See, because you have a hard day, you go home, and you're going to have what kind of food? Comfort food. Jesus said, you don't need that. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. He'll be your comforter. He'll bring you health and not sickness. So people go to the bottle, and then the bottle lies to them because the idols never produce the results that they promise. The bottle says, you'll forget. No, you won't. It'll take the edge off. No, it doesn't. So in 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul says, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to eat with you. Jesus, I'm going to drink with you. Jesus, whatever I do, I'm going to do it with you. So it's an act of worship, not an act of idolatry. Let me hit sexual sin. I love you. I'm going to go deep here. Some of you need healing at the soul level. The Holy Spirit alone can do that. And the Word of God is able to bring that healing power of the Holy Spirit to the deepest parts of your being. This woman is a worshiper. And worship is what we sacrifice for. In fact, one of the Greek New Testament words for worship literally means to sacrifice. What do you sacrifice your time for, your energy for, your money for? Right? If, if your marriage falls apart because of your job, you worshipped your job and you laid your marriage down on an altar and you sacrificed it to your God of the job. Romans 12, 1. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What you offer your body to is an act of worship. See, we tend to see things in terms of behaviors and patterns and proclivities and addictions. God tends to see everything in terms of worship and idolatry. You're worshiping me or them. You're worshiping me or it. God would see this woman's relationships that 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 man becomes her God and that bed becomes their altar and she is sacrificing herself as a living sacrifice in worship to her false god. It's deep, right? So how do, you, how do you stop your addictions? How do you stop your negative relationship patterns? How do you stop your unhealthy lifestyle? Become a worshiper. Stop worshiping created things. Start worshiping the creator God. So I think this woman, when she asked the question, let's talk about worship. I think Jesus knows her heart. He has come from heaven to earth. And he is making a three-day walk. And he says, you know what? The Father is looking for people like you. You are so passionate. If you would meet the right God, you would be an amazing worshiper. Your passion is not your problem. Your idol is your problem. You can keep the passion and worship God. And then you're free from all of your idolatry. This woman's whole life changes. 
The Holy Spirit goes in her. The streams of living water start to flow in her. There is now life coming where there was death. What was just overheated is now being cooled. What was dirty is now being made clean. And the same is true for you. The story continues. Just then his disciples came back. They missed the whole thing. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. What? Like, uh, Jesus, I don't know if you... ruh you know. Uh, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They're like, somebody should say something. One, two, three, not it. Right? <laughs> so the woman left her water jar. The one thing that she needed the most is no longer the most important thing. It's amazing when you meet Jesus, stuff you cared about, you just drop. There's things that some of you worked your whole life for and you just dumped it at goodwill. You're like, I don't even need that. I met Jesus, I'm fine. And went away into town and said to the people, now she's an evangelist. She's a missionary. You don't need to know much. You just need to know Jesus. Some of you say, I can't tell people about Christianity. I don't know much. You don't need to know much. You just need to know him. She knows him. Come see a man who told me I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This woman was running from people. Now she's running to people. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. These guys are usually not getting it, right? This is the apple dumpling gang. That's what this is. (laughs) Jesus didn't pick these guys because they were the all-star team. Uh, you want a burrito? Really? Okay, we're, we're about ready to have revival break out here in Samaria. I'll get to the burrito later. Thank you very much. Urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They never get it. <laughs> they never get it. What Jesus says is, my body needs food, but more than that, my soul needs a purpose. That purpose is to do the work and the will of God. And as I do that, my soul is nourished. I'll get to my body right now. This is good for my soul. The story continues. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest already. The one who is reaping is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Here's what he is saying. People need Jesus. You can look at people and say, they're so messed up. They need Jesus. They're so naughty. They need Jesus. They're so spiritually confused. They need Jesus. And here's the truth. We're all Samaritans. None of this makes any sense if you look at it and you're like, I'm so glad I'm not a Samaritan. The point is, we're all Samaritans, right? We're all messed up. We're all religiously confused. We're all naughty. We all have problems. We all are idolaters. We all need Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, these people have realized that their thing ain't working. 
And they're actually open to me. Usually you sow, wait a while, harvest. Sometimes you tell people about Jesus and they get saved in an instant. For some people, salvation is a process. For some people, salvation is an instant. Some of you today, maybe you're going to become a Christian, a believer in Jesus. You're like this woman. You're like, I don't know. I went in. He talked. I walked out. I'm in. (laughs) Welcome to the family. You're like, I'm so messed up. Great. You should... Read the rest of the book. Our family has issues. (laughs) Here's my good word for you. Jesus is still scheduling meetings. (laughs) Isn't that nice? See, where you're sitting, it could be your little well. And Jesus wants to schedule a meeting with you today, just like he did this woman. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. She's no longer running from people. She's running to people. She's no longer ashamed of her story because God has changed her story. He wants to do that for you today. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed two, two days. Jesus got kicked out of his hometown and religious people hated him. And the Samaritans are like, we'll hang with you. And many more believe because of his word. They said to this woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves. We know that he is the savior of the world. This God cares about us and all people who bear his image. After two days, he departed for Galilee for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, but he has honor in Samaria. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. A um, couple of things I feel impressed to share with you in closing. Number one, you cannot have a healthy relationship with anyone until you have a healthy relationship with Jesus. That's this woman's story. Wrong guy, wrong guy, wrong guy, wrong guy, wrong guy, wrong guy. Possibility, wrong woman. The only consistent variable in all six relationships is the woman. Until she has a healthy relationship with Jesus, she can't have a healthy relationship with anyone. So it is with you. Some of you are crushing your relationships, particularly your marriages, because you're handing Jesus' job description to a mere mortal. If you want love, you need Jesus. You want forgiveness, you need Jesus. You want wisdom, you need Jesus. You want someone that will never leave you nor forsake you, you need Jesus. You want somebody you're not going to wear out and exhaust, for sure you need Jesus. How is your relationship with Jesus? Some of you are working on all your relationships. Cause, effect. Tree, fruit. Relationship with Jesus. Get that healthy. Then you can have healthy relationships with others. Number two. Jesus not only forgives sins, he lifts burdens. This woman was burdened. She's rejected, dejected. She's used and abused. She's all by herself. Jesus lifts that burden. She runs into town. Let me tell She's free. You know how you're free? You can talk about your past in a way that it is not a tragic tale. 
but it's a terrific tale of God's grace at work in your life to change your past so that your future doesn't look like your yesterday. That's, this burden is lifted from this woman. You don't even know who someone is until God lifts their burdens. Number three, Jesus wants to put a well in your soul. Jesus wants you to experience the presence and the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we learned, was filled and led by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit abided on him, we saw in his baptism. Uh, March 12th will be 30 years that Gracie and I met. It's the anniversary of our first date. Since that moment, we do life together. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they do life together. They're in relationship. And then Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit so you can have a relationship with God and access to the same power that fueled the life of Jesus. That's amazing. Number four, God's love is better than tolerance. In our culture, we would look at this woman and say, You've chosen your lifestyle. We tolerate and celebrate. Jesus says, I love you. So things are going to change. The Bible doesn't speak of tolerance, but on a few occasions, and it's always negative. (laughs) Some people, you need to celebrate who I am. And Jesus says, I got better. I'll change who you are. You You need to take me as I am. Jesus says, I'll do that, but I love you so much, I can't let you stay as you are. Love in relationship changes. Love from Jesus changes. He loves this woman, and as a result, his love changes her. Do you see that? Her thing wasn't working. She wasn't happy. It wasn't going well. This was not her happily ever after tale as a little girl. I hope that when I grow up, I'm in a cult living with a guy after five divorces. Jesus comes along and says, I love you. How about we change things? That would be amazing. Thank you. Number five, your mess is part of your message. Some of you are like, what a mess. What a great message. This woman, her message includes her mess. She runs into town, says, he told me everything I ever did. You know why she didn't have to tell everybody what she did? Because they all knew what she did. That's how big the mess was. As you talk about your mess and the message of Jesus, it allows others to have hope and encouragement in their mess. And here's the last one. I've been waiting all week to share it with you. I didn't sleep well last night. Um, I really want this for you because I love you. And I really need you to know the Father's heart. There are three ways to establish an identity. Number one, what they say about you or do to you. What has been said about you? Nickname, pejorative term, lie. True, but it was a bad moment in your life. 
and they've made it the sum total of your life? What have they done to you? Did they abuse you? Are you a victim? Was an assault? Did they betray you? Did they abandon you? Did they commit adultery on you? Are you defined by what has been done to you? I believe this woman is an abuse victim. The second option is you're defined by what you have said or done. What this woman has done, it haunts her. It's shameful. She's mortified by it. Some of you know exactly what she feels like. You know it. Our world only gives you those two options. They give you an identity. You give yourself an identity. It's what they have done or what you have done. Jesus provides a third option. It's what he has done. Those relationships are not going to heal this woman. This woman is not going to heal herself. Jesus comes along and he gives her a new identity. It's like a daddy looking at his little girl, kissing her on the head. I love you. I forgive you. You're my girl. I'm here for you. I I forgot this. The Holy Spirit just reminded me. I studied this in 2000. The Greek word for worship here means to kiss toward. I just remembered that. This is the father kissing his little girl on the head. You're my girl. I love you. You're my girl. I love you. The word for worship here means to kiss toward. She is not defined by what they have done or she has done. She is defined now by what Jesus has done. Not to her or by her, but for her. And as a result, her shame is lifted. My friend, this is your problem. You carry your shame. Some of you understand that Jesus forgives your sin. But you don't understand that he lifts your shame. So you're forgiven and still crushed, identified, burdened by your shame. I was reminded as I was teaching in the first service, it's kind of like Lazarus. This guy in the Bible, he was dead and he was brought to newness of life, but he was still wearing the old grave clothes. Some of you, you're forgiven, you got a new life in Christ, but you're still wearing the shame of your past life. Jesus not only forgives sin, he lifts shame. Did you know that? I'll give you a verse. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Who for the joy? Jesus is happy to forgive you. Jesus is happy to lift your shame. 
Jesus is happy to give you a new identity. It causes him great joy. Great joy. You're not a burden to him. You're a blessing. He is seeking worshipers for the Father. Joy. Jesus went to the cross, and the experience was not joy, but the purchasing of you as a child of God was great joy for him. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Your sin went to the cross of Jesus. Your shame went to the cross of Jesus. Your sin is forgiven. Your shame must be lifted. This woman's shame is lifted. She goes from being alone to being in relationship with others. She goes from hiding to celebrating. Her whole life changes because her shame is lifted. So so we uh, we need to pray for you. So let me ask you this question. What's your shame? The thing that was done to you that haunts you. The thing that was said about you that wrecks you. The thing you have done that you have regretted every day since. The thing that you said that you wish you could take back. What does Satan use to haunt you, to torment you? What do other people continually tell you to destroy you? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your hands out. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what your shame is. And then as I pray for you, I want you to go from this to this. The shame you have been carrying, the shame you have been burdened by and broken by and bothered by, I want you to release it. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to take it to Jesus and take it away from you. Some of you didn't even know this was possible. This is not just possible. It is promised for the children of God. So, close your eyes. I don't care if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. I'm going to pray for you. Close your eyes and fold your hands. Holy Spirit, for these dear, precious, wonderful people. Holy Spirit, if they're carrying any shame, would you right now, Holy Spirit, reveal it to them? something that was said about them, something that was done to them, something that they have said, something that they have done. Holy Spirit, would you please show them any areas or ways that they are carrying shame? Perhaps it's sexual. Perhaps it's marital. Perhaps it's relational. Perhaps it was a divorce. Perhaps it was spiritual confusion, confusion occultic behavior, cultic behavior, dark spirituality, addiction. Lord, whatever shame these dear people are carrying, Holy Spirit, I ask in the strong name of Jesus that right now you would reveal it to them. And Satan, we rebuke you in the strong name of Jesus.
You are the accuser of the children of God, that you accuse them day and night. But Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me. Holy Spirit, help these people to hear Jesus and not their enemy. Holy Spirit, help these people to now open their hands. Please open your hands. Holy Spirit, take that shame and that sin and that suffering and that stronghold away from these dear people. Holy Spirit, please lift the burden for them. Bring life where there was death. Bring flowing streams of living water where there was nothing but hardened and baked clay in their soul. Father God, it is a great honor to teach your word. It is a great honor to love and lead these people. Holy Spirit, all I can do is just teach the Bible, love them, and pray for them. You need to minister to them. Help them right now to surrender, to release that shame. Jesus, thank you that on the cross you took our sin and our shame. I pray for these people to now be filled with the Spirit, to have the joy of the Spirit, to have the streams of living water flow through them. And Father, as you are seeking worshipers, we ask that you would find us as worshipers. For those of us who have worshipped our way into trouble, may we worship our way out of trouble. And Holy Spirit, may this become a sacred place. May this become the place where your Holy Spirit fills your people so that they can be free and they can be joyful. They can get kissed on the head from their daddy and they could know the joy of his presence and that, Father God, you would pour out your love on these dear people whom Jesus prayed for and whom the Holy Spirit fills. In the strong name of Jesus, we ask his worshipers in his good name. Amen.